Well, thank you, Mita, for that wonderful prayer. That last song uh, that the worship uh, team led with us, uh, Lauren Daigle's song, you say, that phrase, I believe what you say of me. That really uh, fits into our message today of really understanding and believing who we are. So I'd invite you, if you will, to open your Bibles to 1 John chapter 2. Uh, While you're doing that, if you have your phones or your tablets, your iPads, whatever instrument you use to read God's Word, uh, I want to remind you that your assignment is to read one chapter in 1 John each week. This coming week, you'll be reading 1 John chapter 3 and read that every day, okay? Read that short chapter every day. Uh, By the end of our time together, you will really have a good feel for uh, 1 John, uh, for this epistle that John wrote. Our text this morning is really a fascinating uh, section of Scripture, and I'll be reading uh, from chapter 2, verses 3 through 11. This is the Word of God for the people of God at Grace Community Church. And we can be sure that we know Him if we obey His commandments. If someone claims, I know God, but doesn't obey God's commandments, that person is a liar and is not living in the truth. But those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love him. This is how we know we are living in him. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. Verse 7. Dear friends, I'm not writing a new commandment for you. Rather, it is an old one. You have from the, you've had from the very beginning. This old commandment to love one another is the same message you heard before. Yet it is also new. Listen, <laughs> Jesus lived the truth of this commandment, and you also are living it. For the darkness is disappearing, and the true light is already shining. Verse 9. If anyone claims I am living in the light, but hates a Christian brother or sister, that person is still living in darkness. Anyone who loves another brother or sister is living in the light and does not cause others to stumble. But anyone who hates another brother or sister is still living and walking in darkness. Such a person does not know the way to go, having been blinded by the darkness. Now, by way of review, uh, we are on an incredible journey. And we are searching for life, for light, and for love. And John leads us to believe that these three great themes, an invitation into life, an invitation into light, and an invitation into love, are found and experienced by knowing and embracing the truth of God's Word. That truth that is known as Jesus. Jesus himself said, I am the way the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. Two weeks ago, uh, we talked about an invitation into life. Uh, Now, uh, that life was defined in chapter 1. Jesus is the word of life, and Jesus is eternal life. So that life is found in him. Now, we would say, God, we're really glad about eternal life. We're glad that we have punched our ticket. We have the barcode. We're going to heaven. We're all glad about that. But what about right now? And John reminds us that this is more 
than a future promise. This is a present reality. Eternal life does not start when you die. Eternal life starts when you say yes to Jesus. When you live into his life and he lives into your life, that's when eternal life begins. It's more than a future promise, but it's a present reality. And this reality is experienced in partnership with our Heavenly Father. And then last week, we invited you into light. It was a call to step out of the darkness, step out of the shadows. That was the Beauty and the Beast clip that failed so wonderfully. Uh, No trickery. No pretense, no shifting shadows, no half-truths, no inflated lies. We step into the light of God's love, and we do that primarily, 1 John 1, 9, through confession. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and he is just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's how we step into the light. And then those light steps... John says, I've got some promises for you, some things that you're going to experience if you step into the light. He said, first of all, you're going to find freedom. You're going to feel clean. You're going to experience grace, and you're going to know forgiveness. And then he said, you're going to experience authentic relationships. Koinonia has said, you're going to experience those kind of relationships where it's not just a head connection or even a hand connection, but it's a heart connection. And the third promise he made was that we will experience the gentleness of God. God is not out there looking to step on you when you sin. He is looking to pick you up and to embrace you. The picture of the prodigal son walking down the road, hangdog with his head down, saying, oh man, what a jerk I am. What am I going to find when I get home? Am I going to even be allowed to come home? And the Bible says that from far distance, the father saw the prodigal son came running, embraced him. And in the Greek language, the phrase is, he could not stop kissing his head. That's the gentleness of God. When God calls you back from your sin, there's never this shame or this feeling like, oh, you're just so bad. No, it's the sense of you've come home to me, my son. You've come home to me, my daughter. So you will experience the gentleness of God. The other promise was, you will then yourselves become gentle. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians that when someone falters, we are to, what, pick them up. We handle them gently. We don't throw them under the bus. We don't kick them out of the church. We love them gently as God has loved us. And then we become childlike. Children run away from the darkness into the light. And finally, we become light ourselves. Those are the promises that we discovered last week from 1 John chapter 1. Now, this new section of Scripture that we look at today really talks about the truth of truly knowing God. Now, this is one of the mega themes from 1 John, the assurance of our salvation. You can know. Um, Back when we were at Hope uh, several years ago, there was a woman in our church. Her name was Marcel Powers. And Marcel was this wonderful, she was raised in France, so she had this French accent. She was absolutely adorable, and she'd been a believer since she was a, a, a teenager. And, uh, but I remember she came into my office one time to talk to me, and she said, Pastor, I don't really know if I'm a Christian. And she had doubts. And she wondered, how come I keep on sinning? How come I keep on doing this? And so you know exactly where I took her in Scripture, right? First John chapter 5. 
First John chapter 5. If you have a, a, a problem in your life where you're not experiencing the assurance of your salvation, you head directly to 1 John chapter 5. Now, we're going to get there in just a few weeks, right? But 1 John chapter 5, it says, if you have the Son, what? You have life. Not, eh, if you have the Son, you may have life if you do the right things. Or if you have the Son, you may be okay if you've punched your ticket. Or any of those things. No, if you have the Son, you have life. And I told her, Marcel, you have the Son, you have life. When she left that day, I really believe that she knew the truth of truly knowing God. Now this, you can know passage, and when you look at it, it's remarkable. Chapter 2, chapter 2, verse 3, and we can be sure that we know him, right? And Jesus, uh, and verse 8, Jesus lived the truth of this commandment, and you were also living it, you can know, but also it refers us to chapter 5. Listen to this. Now I didn't put this up on the screen, but listen to these words. 1 John chapter 5, verses 10 through 13. All who believe in the Son of God know in their hearts that this testimony is true. This is the passage I shared with Marcel. Those who don't believe this are actually calling God a liar because they don't know, they don't believe what God has testified about his Son. Verse 11, and this is what God has testified. This is what God has testified, not Dwayne or you. This is what God has testified. He has given us eternal life. Okay, remember what eternal life is? Chapter 1, it's Jesus, okay? He has given us eternal life right? And this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have God's son does not have life. So this is the you can know passage. You can be sure of your salvation. Verse 3a, we know that we have come to know him. (laughs) We know that we have come to know him. Uh, Sherry had the privilege of discipling a young woman in our former church. Her name was Janelle. And Janelle first came to us. Somebody invited her right out of two years in uh, uh, Papa Joe's prison, right? And uh, she'd been there. We won't talk about why she was there, but she came out there. Somebody invited her to our church. And I remember that first Sunday after the service, uh, she raised her hand to receive Christ, and I got the chance to talk to her. And um, I'll never forget it. I could literally see a young woman stepping out of the darkness into God's light. I could see it through her tears. I could see it through her face. I could see the reality. That day, she knew that she knew God. She knew that she knew God. She had a complete assurance of her salvation, not because of what she had done or not because of what she had said or even prayed, but because of what Jesus had done, and then Sherry got to disciple for the next years. And today, she's this amazing uh, Christ follower, servant of God. She embraced life. She stepped from the darkness into light. She knew that she knew God. And the Bible says further in the second part of that uh, verse, verse three, uh, that okay, now how do you know this? And it says, if we obey His commands. Okay, how do we know that we have this assurance of salvation? If we obey his commands. Now, this does, I'll tell you what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that if you start obeying God's commands, that somehow God is going to know that you're okay. That's not what it means at all, okay? In fact, let me, let me kind of share with you what it means. When I was um, eight years old, long time ago, 
Um, my dad used to tell me that when I was old enough, he would take me fishing with the men. We had a small ski boat, but in the winter, we'd go fishing. We lived in San Diego. My dad was, was fearless. He'd go to the Coronado Islands in a 14-foot glass boat, right? Anyway, so I got to go fishing when I was eight years old. And I caught a 12-pound barracuda, which was as tall as I was. And I was excited and thrilled and overjoyed. And I was all of these things. So we get home, and I know the routine when we get home. Even though I hadn't been able to go fishing with my dad, he always had me help clean the boat and everything, kind of teach me the hard stuff first. Well, and of course, I didn't want to do it. You know, I was like any other eight-year-old kid trying to find a way out of work, right? So, but on this particular day, what can I do, Daddy? How can I help? Can I do this? Can I do that? Can I clean the fish? Can I do this? Can I? And I, I was so overjoyed and overwhelmed with my father's love that obedience was not even an issue. It was, I just have to do something to show him how much I love him. That's what this passage is talking about. It's not about a checklist. It's about being so overwhelmed with God's love and his grace, but you can't help but just wanting to serve him and do whatever you can to show him how much you love him. Now, that word obey is very important. In the original language, it involves more than mechanical compliance or a checklist or behavior or rules. That's not what it is. It's not the list. It's not, you know, it's not the barcode. It's not that. This word obey brings with it the nuance of, listen, watchful, careful observance. Obey means watchful, careful observance. So if we observe the things that Jesus loves, those are the things that we love. If we observe the things that Jesus does, those are the things that we do. That's what this obedience implies. In other words, keeping precepts of Christ or commandments is a heart thing. To keep the precepts of Christ is a heart thing. To guard, to watch, and to hold as a precious thing the precepts of Jesus' teaching. Okay, that's what that word obey means. Let me say it again. To guard, to watch, and to hold as a precious thing the precepts of Jesus' teaching. So that's what this idea of if we love him, we will obey him. We will guard as precious the things that are precious to him. Now, now let's talk about this. Uh, there's a polemic here, uh, kind of a contrast, a pull, push-pull. In verse 4, uh, John sounds testy, okay? He sounds kind of, uh, you know, short, short-tempered. Some of you can understand that, right? Uh, uh, so John says, okay, one who says he's in the light and hates his brother is a liar. So at first blush, John says some intimidating things. Verse 4, if they don't keep his commandments, they're liars. Um, that's confusing because the last two weeks we've talked about what? My little children. Chapter 2, verse 1. Dear children. Chapter 2, verse 18. Little children. Chapter 2, verse 28. So this is a language of extremes. On one hand, he's talking about liars and, and, and how bad it is. And over here, my little children. It's kind of this soft childlike language. So, so how do we reconcile these two parts of John's commentary, right? Well, to reconcile it, I, I need to tell you about, about the epistle itself, some of the historical background. Okay, why is he saying things the way he is saying them? Who is he talking to? What precisely is he saying? So this polemic kind of lines up this way. 
A polemic is when you're fighting against something. And John was fighting against a real thing. Something that threatened his beloved children. Something that threatened my dear little children. Verse uh, 226, my little children, beware of those who are leading you astray. Chapter 4, verse 1, beware of false prophets. Chapter 2, verse 18, beware of antichrists. Every time John is calling someone a liar, he's not addressing my little children, but he's addressing false teachers. He's addressing antichrists. Look at uh, chapter 2, verse 18. Dear children, the last hour is here. You have heard that the Antichrist is coming. And also there's that polemic, okay? Here's the dear children, here's the Antichrist. You've heard that the Antichrist is coming. And already many such Antichrists have appeared. From this we know that the last hour has come. Okay, so there was not only the Antichrist, but lots of Antichrists. And we see that throughout our history, right? I mean, we've seen so many Antichrists, people that are preaching and teaching just against what Christ taught. And mostly that means that instead of love, you hate, right? So let me tell you a story about uh, this. This, uh, this is about 85 AD. So the letter is part of the first century, and there were scattered many home churches. Most of them were started by John, the writer of the Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John in Revelation, and by Paul, along with some help from many others. But most of the churches were started by John and Paul. Uh, John was the one that said, no greater joy can a man have than this, than to hear that his children follow the truth. He was really big into my little children, dear children, and he's referring to all of you, okay? So uh, his children that he had led to Christ. Now, by and large, they were uh, uneducated. These are common, ordinary people. Now, there were a few educated people scattered in. We know that uh, probably there were at least two Pharisees, um, uh, Joseph, of Arimathea and Nicodemus that came to Christ. So there were some educated, wealthy people mixed in, but the majority of the Christian community were uneducated, like in Acts 4 it says they were idiotes. In other words, they were common, ordinary uh, people. Uh, Very much like you and me. Now, there are some extraordinary intellects in this room. Well, there are some intellects in this room. Well, I don't know, really, but, uh, but all I know is that most of us in this room are really good, ordinary, common people, very much like in the first century. So they were uneducated, hardworking, relatively simple, and off- their, their faith was very much authentic, uh, very limited education. Um, and, and so this was, uh, this was the church in the first century. Uh, and these people, quite simply, had a love affair with Jesus. That's what their theology was. They didn't, I mean, they didn't even have most of the epistles uh, yet that were, some were in circulation, but they didn't have all of them. They couldn't read, so they're dependent on somebody in their community that could read. And, but these were ordinary people, and, and their relationship, their, their, their doctrine, their theology was a, just a beautiful um, relationship, dance, rhythm with Jesus. And they would be obedient to his precepts. They would abide in his truth. They would walk in his light. Now, our obedience is seen because of love, not because of fear. Not because, oh boy, if we don't, we're not going to get our barcode, right? But there's this loving, this light walking in darkness, this confessing people. And their theology was not about 
anything other than how can I live in the light and the love of Jesus? So by this time around 85 to 90 AD, a crisis was precipitated in many of the churches across Asia Minor. And uh, these are a group of Christians who had grown to despise the simple faith of the naive the unsophisticated faith of these uneducated people. They despise the simplicity and purity of love and devotion to Christ. It was too simple. And so they looked down their superior, spiritually superior noses at these uneducated people. And this movement gained momentum in about 85 AD. And this new version of Christianity, they were known as the intelligentsia or as the knowers. The knowers ultimately became what? The Gnostics. The Greek word gnosis, which means to know. So there was this polemic, this push-pull between these common, ordinary people in love with Jesus, people in love with each other, and this superior, educated group that felt that the only way you could truly get to God was by knowing enough about God. So here was the two categories, right? People that knew Jesus and people that knew doctrine. People that loved Jesus and people that loved to know stuff. The knowers, the Gnostics, and those believers. This was what John was speaking to, this push-pull relationship. The knowers and the lovers. Now, this progressed beyond the two classes it became very personal. There was this theological volleyball, how much do you know, what do you know? And of course, some of these uneducated people say, well, I really don't know that much. And so what happened was the people started having doubts about their salvation. They started wondering, well, I don't know very much. Maybe I'm not a believer. Maybe I'm not a follower of Jesus. And they began to wonder this crisis of faith. Maybe We don't know enough. Maybe we're not Christians. So to pull all this together, uh, the simple, faithful people, these little children, my dear ones, as Paul would call, as John would call them, and they began to struggle with this issue which they have never faced before, the assurance of their salvation. In other words, they asked the question, how do I know? How do I know that I'm in Christ? Every one of you in this room at some time in your life, right, have asked the same question. How do I know if it's real? How do I know if this Christian thing is real? How do I know if my relationship is real? The knowers say you can't know. You can't be that unless you know enough. John said, my little children, my beloved, don't listen to those knowers because it's just not that complicated. And here's what John would ask. Do you love Jesus with all your heart? Do you hold precious his precepts? Do you guard them? Do you watch over them? Do you abide with the precepts of Jesus? Do you love the brothers and sisters around you from your heart? And do you consistently partner with the Father to confess your sins and to walk in the light? See, darkness is inside all of us. And to get it out, we need that step of confession. And what John is saying is, you know, when Jesus is alive in you, you know. If you have the Son, you have life. Don't listen to the knowers. They don't know stuff. I mean, they know stuff, 
They don't know me, Jesus would say. So here's the word. Don't you dare let these spiritually superior people who think they're in because of what they know intimidate you. John would say, and Jesus would echo, love me and love each other. That's the simplicity of it. That's the beauty of it. That is the truth of it. They went out from us because they were never from us. It's not that you don't fit in, John would say to his little children. It's they don't fit you. You are the real deal. That's what John is fighting for, my little children. So with this in mind, you can paraphrase verse 4. Anyone who claims a superior version of Christianity because of what they claim to know but doesn't hold as precious, simple obedience to his precepts is a liar. John is saying, what you know in your head is not how you know Jesus. Come on, let's be honest. The devil knows more about theology and doctrine than you do. The devil knows more about Jesus than you do but he doesn't know him. To love Jesus, to hold precious to his precepts, to love your brothers and sisters from the heart, and to confess whatever darkness is in to bring it into the light. This is how you know Jesus. It's not about superior knowledge. Now, I'm grateful for superior knowledge. I'm grateful for minds like C.S. Lewis and Dallas Willard and N.T. Wright and many, many others. Their minds are sharp, and and they give us a lot of wonderful information. But what John cares about, what Jesus cares about, is that heart that is solely committed to Jesus. So these Gnostics, these Docetists, and other names, but they're all kind of wrapped in this knower category. He says, beware of the false teachers and the Antichrist, because there's three things they're going to try and attack. The first thing they're trying to attack is they're going to undermine the belief and confidence in Christ truly being God. In other words, the deity of Christ. The first thing the knowers would always do, you know what, because the the, the flesh is bad and only the spirit is good and only the mind really matters, there's no way that God would have come into a, a stinking body. There's no way that God would have come down and been in the flesh. He said that, so, so the first thing the knowers would do is attack the deity of Christ, which is the cornerstone of our faith, right? That's our orthodoxy. Jesus wasn't God, couldn't be. He seemed only to be maybe a phantom or a vapor. But remember how John started out this letter two weeks ago. John started by saying, listen, I was there. I was the beloved one. I was the one who leaned on Jesus, you know, in Michelangelo's picture. And I was, I was that one. And John said, listen, I have seen him, I have felt him, I have heard him, I have touched him, I have access to him. So this is not just some by and by in the pie kind of a thing, you know, where you're just thinking, no, John says, I was there, I knew him. This is real. The second thing the Antichrist and the false teachers attack, they undermined obedience. If you don't see Jesus as real, why on earth would you obey his teachings? You obey what you think. That's what's king, right? That's what you bow down to. That's what you bend a knee to is your mind. Only that will satisfy you. I, I, the, the Gnostics were a lot like a lot of American Christians today. 
they were practical atheists. Um, they, they, they would uh, come to church and, and they would uh, bend a knee. They would say, yes, I love Jesus. They sing the songs. They make the confession. They take communion. But the rest of the li- their lives, they live as if God doesn't exist. That was the Gnostics. We have modern-day Gnostics in our world today. False teachers and antichrist, they undermined obedience. The last thing they undermined was love. Jesus made it so clear. John confirmed it. Paul confirmed it. You've heard me preach this for the nine months I've been your pastor. That Jesus said there is a new commandment that supersedes every other commandment that's ever been written. That oversees it, that controls it, that is an umbrella over it. And that is very simply, as I have loved you, so you are to love one another. That is the commandment. The Gnostics, the Docetists, no, no, no. It can't be about love. That's too much of a hard thing. It's got to be about what you know. John would say, my little children, love Jesus with all your heart. Hold precious his precepts. Love the brothers and sisters in Christ. Step into the light out of the darkness. Routinely confess your sin and you will know Jesus. The elitists, the knowers, the intelligentsia, they would say, how naive is that? Those believers are so simple and they would play this theological volleyball, right? They would say something like this. They didn't get to know what the soteriological ramifications of the ontological viewpoint had to do with the juxtaposition of the redactionist theory. And all of the people would say, what? And I'll tell you what, I've been to seminary and I would say, what? I have no idea what that means either. All they know is they love Jesus with all their heart. They hold precious his precepts. They love the brothers and sisters from the heart. And they've stepped from darkness into light by confession. By this, we have come to know him. So a few years ago, um, we started doing this uh, before COVID, and we'll do it again when we are able to. I used to love on communion Sundays to have all the children come in to the sanctuary, and, uh, and then I would give them a grape. And basically what I was doing is I was preparing them to have them ask their parents, what does communion mean? So that they're preparing to, when they're old enough and understand enough, take communion with the adults. So I would give them each a grape. And I'd say, this represents Jesus. And I'd say, just take one grape because there's only this many and there's a lot of you. And, and so this one time, they're going down the line and one little boy, you know, took a big old handful of grapes like this. And the teacher said to him, oh, Johnny, Johnny, no, no, you're only supposed to take one grape. He said, no, I want more Jesus. I want more Jesus. You know what? We need to be more like that little child. My little children, love Jesus with all your heart. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Holy Spirit, our hearts are full we don't always uh, know or even appreciate how this Christianity thing works. What we do know is that um, in our very, the simple, very simplest form of our faith, 
when we were children or teenagers or adults, we said to you that we love you and we desire to serve you and we desire to be part of you. And Father, John has done such a beautiful job of sharing this concept that it's not about how much we know. Oh, there's so many people I know that have great amount of knowledge, but they simply don't love Jesus from their heart. And so, Lord, I pray this morning for our congregation, for everyone that is listening in this building and listening online, that they would say, Lord, I want to know that I know you. And you have said that we can know that we know you when we just recognize that we have invited you into our lives and that we love your precepts. We adore them. We, we, it, we don't see it as a burden. We see it as a joy to serve you, to love you, to obey you and that we love one another and that we routinely confess our sins and get what's on the inside, on the outside. So Father, my prayer this morning is if there are those in this congregation that would say, Lord, I, I, I guess I've never really been absolutely sure of my salvation. Here's the truth from 1 John 5. You can know him. You can know him because he is in you. It's that simple. If you have Jesus, you have life. And Lord, if there are those here listening or watching today that would say, well, I, I've, I've never really invited Jesus into my life. <laughs> what a beautiful time to do it. Say a, a simple prayer or something like this. Lord Jesus, my life often is very dark and I'm lonely and I don't understand a lot about you, but I want to give you my life. I invite you by faith into my heart. I receive you as my Lord and Savior and I invite you to dwell within me. And Lord, because of that, you have promised that today I begin eternal life because I know you and help me to love you. And I pray this in your name. Lord, I thank you for those who by faith have made this profession of faith today. And pray that they would tell someone, that they would share their good news with someone today. Lord, as we are about to receive the Lord's Supper, I, I would pray that we would be like that little boy who just wanted a handful of Jesus. He wanted so much. And may we just want you so much today that will receive this gift of the bread and the cup that we will recognize that we are receiving you once again. And we pray this in the precious name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen.